AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to AOA. Good to have you with us. Thank you for letting us be part of your day. Coming up on our program, we're going to talk about the U.S.-EU trade deal, what it means for steel and aluminum and maybe beyond. Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation will join us. We'll talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Big question for many farmers, sell or store? We'll talk about that. And we hope to hear from Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, who is traveling. He's been in Belgium. He's going to, to Scotland, talking about how ag and ag programs can help deal with climate issues. We'll hope to hear from the Secretary, depending on his travel schedule and the phone connections. We hope to hear from him later in today's program. But let's start things off with an update from our nation's capital. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report joins us. Jerry, thank you. Uh, where do we stand with the spending bills now? Uh, well, if you're talk- we're talking about the Build Back Better Act and the infrastructure bill. Uh, I'd say the big wild card now is what impact the elections last night uh, have on, on these bills. Uh, as you probably know, the Republicans won the governorship in Virginia, and the New Jersey governorship is very, uh, uh, very too close to call, so it hasn't been called yet. Uh, I'm, uh, I, my thought is that it will mean that on the Build Back Better Act that the progressives are going to have to accept whatever changes Senator Joe Manchin wants in order to get that bill across the finish line. And then at that point, of course, they would also vote for the infrastructure bill. There is a possibility they could abandon both bills or can't get enough support, but I think the Democrats believe they have to pass those bills if they're going to prove that they can govern. It is said elections have consequences, and certainly last night's could have big consequences. I would think more moderate Democrats might want to take a closer look at uh, perhaps their position on these bills. Yes, I think that's right. I think we already have indications um, that they will. Uh, But, of course, if they don't pass anything, uh, which would be the alternative, then they're going to disappoint a lot of people. And there are uh, uh, ag groups, nutrition groups who have things in these bills, as well as, of course, more, more money for broadband ports and, and uh, rail, uh, not railroads, I guess, but uh, roads. Uh, there, there, there are things they want. And so uh, that's kind of the conundrum that they're faced with course it could be go back to the drawing board and put together bills that address the biggest needs for the country without adding on a lot of other things maybe that could be an approach well that's a possibility but we've been dragging this out for a lawfully long time now so uh, I would think that they will proceed uh, proceed with this of course the big issue if we were to look at last night's election the national issue that had an impact really is the inflation the other issue was about the schools, and that's really a local issue. It is not a federal government uh, uh, issue. Um, so uh, we'll just have to see now. Uh, as of yesterday, um, the Democrats had reached an agreement on drug pricing reform, uh, which was is one of the things that's the most popular uh, in that bill. Uh, so it seemed to be moving forward. Uh, but now, as of, I believe President Biden is back in the country, is supposed to land in the middle of the night. So we'll have to see what impact he has on this. Meanwhile, as I mentioned, Secretary Vilsack uh, traveling abroad, uh, going to the, uh, the big climate meeting. And he is talking about and working with uh, European leaders and others on how ag programs can uh, be a part of working on climate issues. Yes, the uh, Secretary Vilsack and the Biden administration are very much taking the position that agriculture is part of the solution, not part of the problem. Um, uh, you may have seen that the that even though the uh, there's an, an agreement to reduce methane, they did not say anything about cattle in that. 
I believe the United States played a role in discouraging any mention of cattle uh, in the in methane provisions, but also that Brazil and Argentina, which are very big cattle producers, were were also involved in those discussions. You know, I've I've seen a few references to this, but you know, in a day and a time where we do so much by Zoom and remotely because of the pandemic, I was just thinking. Couldn't that conference have been done by Zoom virtually instead of everybody getting on planes and flying and, and talking about how we need to uh, uh, protect the climate? And <laughs> we're on planes adding to the very problem they're talking about. Well, Mike, I guess I'm going to disagree with you about that because I hate Zoom. I hate all these Zoom sessions I have to participate in. And I don't think that there's any uh, anything that makes up for meeting in person and getting to know the people that you're dealing with. Uh, this winter, I'm looking forward to going back to all the farm meetings that have been scheduled. Uh, and uh, I think there are advantages in these people meeting, especially if they haven't met before. So uh, that's my view. I share that view. I don't like Zoom either. I think it's better in person. But I'm just saying there's some irony there <laughs> that you're flying and contributing to the problem that uh, you're trying to solve. So I just thought that is, that I, I, I'd point that out. That is true. There is irony there. Uh, meanwhile, we, uh, as we wait on these issues, I mean, uh, see what Congress does. Uh, th we're still waiting on these, something to be done about the supply chain and the problems there. And and. We're not hearing anything really optimistic that that's going to be resolved anytime soon. Uh, no, we aren't. Uh, we aren't hearing very much, although they are working uh, 24 hours a day in the ports in, in the port in Los Angeles. Uh, the House Agriculture Committee is holding a hearing today, at which a lot of ag groups are going to have an opportunity to tell what their problems are. What we don't know is whether the House Ag Committee has any ideas on how to deal with this. And maybe we'll find out. That hearing uh, is uh, starting right now. And we should also point out one other big story. Even though John Deere and union negotiators reached a tentative deal, the workers uh, have rejected that deal. So that strike continues. Yes, that's right. It's the second time um, that there's been a contract offer and the, and the workers have rejected it. Uh, I guess they get the sense that John Deere is making a lot of money and can afford to pay them more money. Uh, so uh, that's kind of where we're at on that. And one other story, union reps uh, saying that uh, there could be impacts uh, of the federal COVID vaccine mandate uh, at USDA if uh, not all workers are going to uh, get the vaccination. That could impact programs. Well, yes, we'll have to see what happens. Now, the deadline for all for the uh, USDA employees to be vaccinated is November 22nd. Uh, that means that they have to have had their second shot about now, uh, and so that they are uh, vaccinated two weeks. Then the big question will be when will USDA open its offices, especially in Washington? Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow, a lot going on, Jerry. Thanks a lot. We'll stay in touch. Appreciate it. Great. Good to talk to you always. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. We talk markets next with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. 
and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. That's our goal at AOA. Each weekday, you get an hour of the latest takes from people who know agriculture, the policymakers, and the people who have the inside scoop on what's happening behind closed doors. People who have their finger on the pulse of Washington and agriculture around the world. AOA is your daily source for all the information you need to stay in the know. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, some farmers done with harvest, but many others are trying to finish up. And uh, this looks to be, for many a week, uh, they'll be able to get some of that done and hopefully get it wrapped up. But the question for many will also be sell or store. Let's talk about it with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, good to talk with you. If someone asks you that question, what are you telling them? Uh, On on harvest activity? On sell or store? Oh, on sell or store. I mean, that's the thing is that uh, right now, um, you know, here at the end, I, I don't know how much of a choice some folks are going to have. And I think that's part of the reason we saw some pressure here this week as we've been able to get back in the field is that a lot of folks are out of storage room at home. So all in across the scale, uh, trying to decide, do I want to go ahead and, and store uh, whenever I'm looking at $5 and 50 cents mm-hmm. plus, you know, in some cases pushing $6 uh, corn, or do I want to, uh, you know, go ahead and sell it at those types of price levels. And I guess my personal opinion, you know, uh, most of the producers I've talked to feel pretty comfortable about their yields. And and so what I would do uh, in that specific situation is I'd probably go ahead and sell, especially if I've got that corn stored at home. I do think it's going to be good property moving forward, and I don't know that I want to uh, have too many eggs riding in that one basket. More USDA numbers coming out next week. What are you expecting? You know, whenever you start to take the yield up, typically you continue in that direction. And so we've had two reports in a row where we've increased yields. You've got to assume that that's going to be the case again. The corn increase, this last report, was smaller than the previous one. So, you know, I guess my assumption is that they're getting it dialed in. Uh, But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a little bit more of an uptick. I think that we kind of need to see an uptick, quite frankly, because I fully expect that, uh, whether it's in this report or subsequent reports, we're really going to need to make some adjustments on demand, especially uh, from the ethanol side of things, because we've really been boiling through the corn, you know, especially here lately, and uh, with the price of crude oil and whatnot, and, you know, we're taking a little bit of a hit today, but regardless, uh, margins have been fantastic lately. Yeah, let's talk about that. The ethanol demand, I mean, the, those plants have been buying corn. Absolutely. They've been going out hunting corn. You know, and whenever they're putting the kind of margins that they've been able to get, 
uh, there's no question that they're going to do everything they can to to get a hold of as much corn as what they can. So, you know, in some of these uh, situations, you've talked to people who said, you know what, my elevator's running full. We're even putting corn on the ground, and their basis is better than last week. And that's that is just not something you typically see. And so, uh, you know, this is a very interesting harvest we're going through. And so, as a producer, when you when you're faced with that situation, you're like scratching your head, asking yourself, does this make sense or doesn't it make sense? At those types of price levels, let's try not to overcomplicate things too much. Yeah, it's just a different year. We're talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. So we talk a lot about these decisions on acres for next year, and a lot of it may come down to inputs. And the feeling seems to be, yeah, no one likes the higher prices, but uh, they'd be willing to pay them if they could get the product. So that's a question that uh, may not be answered till next planting season. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, Mike, that's part of the reason I think that these 22 corn is going to have to stay pretty darn competitive. You know, whenever you're talking to a producer, uh, typically this year, they're telling you a couple of things. Yeah, their corn crop was awful good. Most of them are saying that I think uh, the bean crop was either record or very close to record. And that's evidenced by the fact that it sure appears that we're going to be looking at a record bean crop, or at least close to it. Uh, Corn crop's not too far from it. Uh, I guess my opinion is whenever you've got so many challenges with the 22 crop, uh, again, can I get a hold of anhydrous? Uh, what they're going to cost me to put a crop out in many cases, you know, uh, you know, it's going to cost a person a thousand bucks an acre if they're paying, you know, uh, normal to a bit above normal uh, cash rent prices. So, um, you know, it takes a special kind of cir- circumstance to make you want to push corn acres. Now, with that being said, Mike, I can tell you, you know, you, as you know, I farm. My personal opinion is is I'm going to stick with my normal rotation, and and if I could push corn acres a little bit, I probably would, uh, because it sure seems like the trend is for more soybean acres, and I I'd be shocked if we don't have very similar acreages between corn and beans, if not more bean acres than corn acres next spring. Yeah, well, we thought there'd be more bean acres this year, then that was a surprise that there wasn't. So we'll we'll see what next year brings us, right? Well, yeah, I mean, yes, there's no question, but I'd say this is a different deal this year, I mean, for a variety of reasons, and, you know, once again, it's not, I agree with you, it's not so much the price of the inputs, because when you run the math at 550 D's 22 corn, you can certainly make money paying $1,200 for anhydrous. Is it fun? Uh, No, Uh, and it's three times what it was a year ago almost, so it's very frustrating that you're paying that, but at the same time, you've got to look at profitability, and so the profitability of the situation is definitely there. And as a producer, you you certainly have to uh, pay close attention to what's going to make more money. I still think corn uh, can, but the problem, again, can I get a hold of the input? So it's the easier decision to go ahead and plant soybeans. I think in a lot of cases, you know, from some of the seed companies I've talked to, uh, there certainly is more interest in soybeans than what they've uh, seen in quite some time, if ever. What do you make of China's buying patterns? Because they usually tell us something with what they're doing and how they feel about things not only now but looking forward uh are are they banking on a big south american crop yeah i mean it sure seems to me that they are but at the same time uh, uh i also feel like they're kind of getting bailed out by the fact that the uh the brazilians were able to get into the field a lot earlier than what they were last year so the um, chinese purchases have certainly been lethargic you know, and coming out and sourcing U.S. soybeans. So I don't know that it spells good things for the U.S. bean export program. Uh, but whenever I look over towards corn, you know, we're still very competitive. The cheapest feed grain, as far as corn is concerned, uh, out there on the world market. And I do think that world buyers are going to step in here. I think that, uh, you know, they probably want more evidence that uh, the low, the harvest lows in. I think it is. Uh, but, you know, if you would come in here with a, a bushel and a half higher yield next week, uh, there's no doubt that there would be some sell pressure. So uh, some of these world buyers, if they uh, get confirmation that the harvest lows are in, I do think that the world buyers are going to be in it, and, and that includes China. I think they'll be back in trying to buy some U.S. corn. You think the harvest low is in then, right? I feel like it is, yes. Uh, obviously, we've ran up significantly here lately. I, I think that uh, selling off some, giving a little bit back going into next week makes sense. Uh, we have to be uh, crazy to think that we won't uh, see some ebb and flow. Uh, but at the same time, I think that as long as your uh, input costs 
for the 22 crops stay where they're at, I think that it's an artificial support, which is interesting because lately we've seen some days where your front months are leading your, your, your 22 markets, but I certainly think that it's got more to do with the strength in this market of late than what some people are giving it credit for. What do you see going on with the wheat market? Where's that going? Well, the wheat market, you know, we've been awfully strong, over $8 some year lately. We're taking a little bit of a breather here uh, today and a little bit there yesterday. But, you know, you look at, uh, for instance, Minneapolis wheat's over 10 bucks. Uh, Chicago, July wheat, uh, you know, you're at 785 as we speak. Uh, KC wheat out to next summer is 782 and So, you know, essentially we're in a much tighter situation than what we were a year ago, both domestically and world numbers as far as stocks usage goes. It's significantly tighter. We've fed a lot of cheap feed wheat over the last year. We don't have that luxury this year coming up to have cheap feed wheat because you're talking $8 wheat. Uh, as a producer, a lot of folks were trying to get wheat in the ground. Uh, you know, and in uh, soft red winter wheat country, I don't know that near enough wheat got put in the ground that producers wanted to get just simply due to the, what the weather was doing. And so uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the wheat market reacts because I think there's a lot of angst in thoughts that in spring wheat country, they're going to have to do everything possible to be able to get the acres bought because we probably didn't get enough winter wheat in the ground. A little different scenario there than we've had the last several years. Absolutely, and it just plays right in the things that you and I have talked about the last few times, which is everyone's coming to the table for acreage. But, you know, if Mother Nature doesn't cooperate, it certainly complicates things for that particular crop. And I think that's part of the reason why this wheat market has stayed very well supported in here. Yeah, we're, I mean, we've had so many years where it seems like the world was just awash in wheat, and now that, that has changed around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the past, most of the time you run a 50% stocks-to-use ratio, you know, whenever you're looking at this wheat situation, which is just, you know, outlandish. But, uh, you know, you're looking at where we're sitting at today, and, I mean, you're talking, you know, a sub-30%, uh, you know, uh, stocks-to-use ratio, you, all you have to do is just go back a year ago, and you're, you're over 50%. So, you know, it's definitely a different situation than what we've been used to, uh, both in the U.S. and world. Uh, and there's no question that with tighter wheat supply, you've got to expect that you're going to see good support moving forward. Now, with wheat, you're always six weeks away from harvest somewhere in the world. So that situation usually fixes itself over the course of time. All right, Matt. Good to talk with you. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Up next, we hope to talk uh, with Secretary Vilsack from the big climate conference. Uh, we'll see if we can make connections. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products? But I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron Herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro Seed Treatment has over Olivo Seed Treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and a half bushels per acre advantage from Travipro Fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. You only get one chance to leave your mark on the land you love. So choose the soybeans with a legacy all their own. FS High Soy, the first proprietary soybean brand. High Soy has been a part of the land for 50 years, offering the latest in trait technologies and elite genetics. High Soy varieties continue to provide industry charting yields. FS High Soy. See your local FS member company or visit fshighsoy.com. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Spot ethanol swaps made another seven and a half year high on Tuesday of $2.70 per gallon, intensifying production margins even higher. Ethanol has been the main source of news and market volatility for the corn sector. This morning on the Board of Trade, December corn trading four and a half cent lower at 568 and a half cent. The March contract down four and a fraction at 577. For soybeans, March down six cents at 1261. The November 
November contract down four and a half cent at 12.43 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat December down a nickel at 7.81 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat December down nine and a half cent at 7.88 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat December down 13 and a half cent at 10.62. The March contract down 13 cents at 10.43 and a half cent. Cash traded Tuesday with Packers opening their wallets early. Texas and Nebraska traded some cattle $3 higher than last week. This sets the stage for this week as feedlots will hold out for nothing less knowing Packers need cattle. Box beef prices were mixed with choice down 20 cents while select increased $1.74. There is good demand for feeder cattle on the Board of Trade December live cattle trading $1.92 higher at $131.87. February up $1.57 at $136.82. Feeder cattle November $1.45 higher at $159.02. January $1.92 higher at $158.97. Inland hogs, the December contract trading $0.87 cents higher at $75.10. The February contract trading $0.75 cents higher at $77.90. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 114 points, the Nasdaq composite up one, the S&P 500 down seven, crude oil in New York, December down $1.96 at $81.95 per barrel, the U.S. dollar index is trending higher. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack is traveling. He's been in Belgium, going to, to Scotland, talking climate issues and agriculture's role in dealing with climate issues. He joins us now. Mr. Secretary, thank you for being with us. Where are you right now? Uh, Mike, I'm in uh, Belgium. We just finished uh, a uh, opportunity to make a joint announcement with my counterpart from the EU. Uh, on our collaborative platform on agriculture. It's a, a new opportunity for us to have a new relationship and perhaps an improved relationship with the EU and as it relates to agriculture. Yeah, let's talk about that. Can you give us some details? How will this collaboration work? Well, it's really focused on on how we might be, we share the common vision of a climate-smart agriculture and one that's responding to the challenges uh, to mitigate and adapt to a changing climate. Uh, so what we're looking for is a, a, a deeper collaboration, a deeper level of communication with more visits, more exchanges, information being exchanged, joint uh, activities focused on climate-smart agriculture and sustainability. Uh, we want to be able to meet the global food needs while at the same time allowing our farmers uh, to respond to a changing climate. And our approach, obviously, in the U.S. has been based on innovation and technology, a market-driven incentive-based system. Uh, their approach is slightly different, but our goals are the same. Uh, so we will be focusing on sustainability in agriculture, uh, climate-smart agriculture, and also on the resiliency of food systems. And uh, the key here is to make sure that people understand you don't have to sacrifice productivity in order to be sustainable. As you mentioned, the European approach and the American approach on a lot of ag issues has been different. So do you see this as a, a sign of uh, more collaboration perhaps in the future between the two? I, I think so. I think the idea here is to uh, 
create a platform where we uh, take a look at things where we, we have a joint interest. We, we all want to get uh, to a place where uh, we reduce emissions with reference to agriculture. Uh, may, many different pathways that can be traveled to get to that. Um, we, and I think by virtue of this conversation, maybe we begin to break down some of the barriers that have existed uh, in other parts of our relationship. Uh, you know, obviously our, our trade relationship, and we've explained this to our uh, EU friends on a number of occasions, is a, a bit imbalanced. Uh, we purchased $27 billion of their agricultural products. They purchased $10 billion uh, of our agricultural products. That's a $17 billion deficit, uh, which, which needs to be addressed. Uh, and one way to do that is by creating uh, a platform for uh, a stronger relationship that we can begin breaking down these barriers and try not to create unnecessary trade uh, barriers uh, because we're interested in climate or because we think climate smart agriculture is the way to go. What we don't want is for the EU to create additional barriers. Uh, we want to sort of tear the barriers down. So this is a way of starting that conversation, improving the relationship, sending a message that we aren't uh, that we do have a shared vision uh, and respecting that there may be different ways to get to that vision uh, and we think that creates an opportunity that we haven't had for a while. We're talking with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack who is in Brussels, Belgium. Now we've seen the administration announcement about new regulations on methane emissions from the oil and gas industry but We've also heard that you intend to rely on voluntary measures to reduce methane emissions from agriculture. Tell me, tell us what your approach is going to be when it comes to methane and agriculture. Well, I think you uh, correctly stated uh, a recognition that for oil and gas, an industry that's used to regulation, that understands regulation, and that responds to regulation. Uh, conversely, in the agricultural area, we believe that the Climate Smart Ag and Forestry uh, Partnership Initiative, for, for example, provides the possibility of incentives uh, to encourage uh, farmers to come together. Maybe they uh, come together and go in jointly on a digester uh, effort, or maybe uh, there is a, an opportunity to handle manure in a slightly different way that uh, results in methane reduction. Or maybe as FDA completes its uh, study of feed additives, there are ways in which that can be incented uh, to reduce the amount of methane that's produced all of it based on the theory that farmers will respond uh, to financial incentives, to financial encouragement, uh, that they're not likely to be as responsive if there's an effort uh, to regulate. So it's a, it, I think it's a recognition by the president, Mike, that different industries react differently, and different industries have different responses uh, and different ways in which they can accomplish a goal. In agriculture, it's really about a, a market-based and incentive-based approach. The biofuels industry is wanting you, wanting the administration to, to include and, and also highlight how biofuels can play a part in dealing with climate issues. Will that be something that you bring up in your, in your talks? Well, I think it's reflected already in the, uh, in the bipartisan Build Back Better uh, legislation that's currently being considered by Congress, uh, an additional billion dollars of support and help for the biofuel industry is included in that bill. I think it's also reflected in the, uh, in the aviation uh, biofuel challenge that was announced several months ago uh, and potentially four and a half billion dollars of research going into developing a drop-in aviation fuel. Uh, and I think it's also been reflected in the decision by the EPA not to grant waivers uh, as uh, liberally as they, were, as they have been granted in the past. So I think these are, and, and uh, the fact that we will be, uh, hopefully in the very, very near future, outlining the framework for the $700 million of assistance that the industry is going to get from uh, the uh, pandemic assistance program. So I think there are a series of things that we're doing uh, that should be sending a strong message to the industry that we understand and appreciate it has a role to play uh, in, uh, in this effort to try to reduce greenhouse gas emissions economy-wide. In your talks and your travels this week, as you're, you're emphasizing how agriculture can play a part in dealing with climate issues, what do you want farmers here in, in this country to know about the plan that you see for USDA and working with farmers moving forward on this? Well, we want farmers to know they've got a, a, an ally uh, and a partner uh, at USDA and one that, uh, a partner that's willing to provide additional resources to reduce the financial risk 
that may be associated with adopting climate smart practices or the technologies that are out there. Uh, we know, for example, there's separation uh, technology currently available uh, that's fairly expensive, but we might be in a position because of the Climate Smart Agriculture and Forestry Partnership Initiative to be able to provide resources for uh, groups of farmers to come together uh, in an effort to try to learn more about uh, how to do this, uh, how to gauge, how to, how to measure and quantify the results from climate smart practices. So in turn, we can strengthen the financial market that exists to pay farmers to sequester carbon, to pay farmers to embrace uh, digester uh, opportunities, for example, methane reduction. Uh, and I think the key here is for farmers to understand they have enormous opportunity uh, with a partner who is willing to invest in their capacity to innovate and their capacity to, to embrace climate smart practices. Are you on your way now to Scotland? Uh, right after this interview, uh, get in the van. And <laughs> we we uh, we head to uh, to Edinburgh. We're actually going to be about an hour away from the COP26 uh, uh, venue because uh, they don't have enough hotel rooms in in Glasgow to handle all the people that are there. So, mm. um, but we will be in Scotland, and there we'll uh, focus on our aim for uh, climate uh, research initiative that now has uh, over 80 partners. 33 countries have joined this effort. Uh, 37 knowledge partners, universities, uh, NGOs uh, who have information that they wish to share, and a number of what we refer to as sprint partners who are going to put their own resources behind additional research in this climate area, all of it designed to accelerate the adoption uh, of climate smart practices that allow farmers uh, to continue to be uh, profitable and continue to reduce their emissions. If the Build Back Better bill does not pass, we're still waiting to see what happens there. If it does not pass, will you still be able to move forward on these projects? Well, the Climate Smart uh, Initiative, we've, we have financing that's apart and distinct from uh, the Build Back Better uh, initiative. Uh, we still have American Rescue uh, Plan resources that we're putting into uh, uh, support for our local and regional food systems and the, and the biofuel uh, announcement that I mentioned earlier. But at the end of the day, Mike, the Build Back Better plan can accelerate dramatically our investment uh, in climate smart practices. We're talking about $27 billion that would be provided over a number of years uh, for additional conservation uh, that we wouldn't necessarily get under a normal budgeting process. So it is, I think, critically important from an acceleration standpoint uh, that we get this bill through because I think we can do things faster. I think we can, do, we can have much more of, a, of an impact more quickly. Uh, with this bill. Uh, but if it doesn't pass, then we'll obviously use the existing resources that we have. But I'm confident, Mike, at the end of the day, this thing's going to get passed because I think people understand and appreciate that uh, we don't have time to waste. We've got to get moving on this and we're going to have to have resources. And we clearly have to put investment in infrastructure. We know we need roads and bridges. We know we need better inland water systems. We know we need better ports. Uh, everybody understands and appreciates that. Uh, so I'm, I'm confident at the end of the day, uh, it's not pretty the way laws are made, but at the end of the day, compromise rules, and I think that's going to happen in this case. Well, Mr. Secretary, thank you for your time. We know you're on a very busy and tight schedule. Safe travels to you, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack in Brussels, Belgium, and as you heard him say, on his way now to Scotland to talk about ag programs playing a part in dealing with climate issues. We wait to see what happens with the uh, spending bills, both infrastructure and the Build Back Better, and we'll also see if last night's election results might have some impact on those as well. Up next, we do have a U.S.-EU deal ending the steel dispute, as we'll take a closer look at that. What could that mean now and in the future? We'll talk with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Seed corn companies love to talk about characteristics, maturity, emergence, vigor. Those things are important, but at FS Envision, we've developed corn with some extra characteristics, like attitude, like a fighter's will to win, like the spirit to persevere. Because in the end, those are the traits that get it done. Get Envision in the fight for you. Talk to your local FS crop specialist today. FS Envision. Never settle. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So there is a bipartisan bill that would create a contract library for the beef industry. Joined now by Tanner Beamer, NCBA's Director of Government Affairs and Market Policy. Tell us about how it would work and how would it benefit beef producers. So this library, uh, if the bill were to be passed and enacted into law, it would tee up a library that would be maintained by the United States Department of Agriculture under the Agricultural Marketing Service. It would warehouse all the contracts that are offered by packers to producers for the purchase of fed cattle. And, of course, that would be subject to USDA's rules of confidentiality, and it would presumably be aggregated, similar to some of these other reports under livestock mandatory reporting. But theoretically, what it would allow producers to do is compare their marketing arrangements to those of other producers, possibly in their area. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. 
Now, back to Mike Adams. The European Union has agreed to lift retaliatory tariffs on U.S. exports in exchange for getting tariff-free access for some steel and aluminum shipments to America. That's an announcement made several days ago from the Biden administration. Let's talk about the significance of this with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, good to talk with you again. How uh, significant is this deal? Well, I think when you put it together with the other actions the U.S. has taken with the EU this year, it is potentially very significant. certainly signals a change in policy of the U.S. towards the EU. So we've got this deal that was just announced, converted the tariff on EU steel and aluminum imports to the U.S. that was put in place in 2018 into what's called the tariff rate quota. That means that starting on January 1st of 2022, EU will be able to uh, export to the U.S. Uh, tariff-free about 3.3 million tons of their product. There's another million tons that was excluded uh, from tariffs anyways. They'll be on top of that. If they go over, they pay the 25% tariff. In return, the EU got rid of uh, several uh, retaliatory tariffs. They had put on 25% tariffs on a range of U.S. ag products. So now I think those products can go ahead, reestablish the relationships they previously had with European Union uh, importers, and sell them there. And if you put this together with the action taken last July to get rid of the tariffs that were put on because of the Boeing Airbus dispute on another set of U.S. ag products, so I think we've pretty much gotten rid of the tariffs that were put on U.S. ag exports to Europe the last three or four years. They'll all be, be coming off. Not to say that all tariffs are off. Previous ones uh, continue that the EU has on some of our products. But we kind of cleaned up uh, what were some short-term additions uh, to the tariff regime between the U.S. and EU and should have better trade going forward. And I want to talk about that. Uh, we just talked with Secretary Vilsack, who's in Brussels, uh, talk about uh, the reaching of collaboration with the EU and the U.S. on some climate programs and, and issues. Uh, so I ask him, and I'll ask you too, do you see this kind of another step in a better relationship between the U.S. and EU that could maybe get us past some of the differences we've had that have blocked some trade? Maybe things are starting to open up a bit? Well, I would like to think that that's going in that direction. Uh, so we've got these near-term, I guess, for the last few years, uh, irritants and, and barriers going off. Does this lead, and we all would hope so, to a broader discussion with the EU going forward about the long-term problems we have with them, with their standards barriers on our beef and pork and poultry exports, uh, problems with uh, geographic uh, indications, labeling, biotech, you know, those are all still there. But if this is starting in what's an era of better feelings, better cooperation uh, between the European Union and the U.S., in agricultural trade and broader trade. Uh, we see that there's, we think going forward from indications, there's going to be more cooperation on um, climate-related issues between uh, the EU and the U.S. That's all forward momentum that uh, I'd like to think we can take advantage of. You know, our exports to the European Union have been going down in recent years, somewhat attributable to these uh, extra tariffs, um, other long-standing issues that block U.S. exports. I mean, they export to us about $25, $26 billion a year in ag and food products, and we're exporting to them about $12.5 billion. You know, it used to be much closer. We used to export more uh, to them. Um, that gap has been widening in recent years. We'd certainly like to close that up and be a, uh, a net exporter to the European Union of Ag Products. Yeah, the big issues are still there, the big differences, but perhaps some of these other uh other moves we've seen here recently are steps in a direction that could take us to resolving some of those big ones. We hope so. We'll see. Meanwhile, what do you make of uh, the U.S. position, uh, U.S. Trade Representative Tai's comments on how this administration plans on dealing with China? Yes, we saw that uh, outline in that speech back in uh, October 4th, I believe. In many ways, I think they've acknowledged, despite the, their months of reviews, that they're continuing a lot of what had been put in place in the Trump administration. We like them seeing they want to make sure that the Chinese phase one commitments are met. 
Um, we know China is not exactly living up to their purchase commitments, getting close, but they're still somewhat behind. We'll have to see what the rest of this year brings. But uh, we'd like to make sure those are fulfilled. I think American agriculture has pretty much been relying on China uh, uh, buying product and they, that they agreed to buy. They need to fulfill some of their standards commitments. They did a lot, but they haven't done it all, especially in the area of biotechnology approvals. Um, we want encourage the administration to keep working on that. Well, the administration did say they really weren't interested in engaging in any more trade negotiations with them. Um, we think that uh, at some point this needs to happen. We need to have a strong economic relationship with China. You know, we all know the other issues going on between our uh, two nations that can influence trade, but U.S. agriculture, you know, that's our biggest market now, back to being our biggest market after a couple years uh, when we had the tariffs in place where it wasn't. So we need to keep that uh, relationship going. So it is encouraging that they're starting to have discussions. Ambassador Tai's had discussions with some of the top Chinese officials that work on trade. We want them to keep doing that and try to come to future agreements that will help uh, the U.S. economy and U.S. agriculture. Well, as we know, it's those non-ag issues that will have a great impact on ag trade with China. Well, it is. When you have a uh, situation they have in China, you've got a state-directed economy. Um, if there's uh, problems in the relationship, it can have an influence on, uh, on trade. And, you know, the tariff regime between the two countries uh, continues. While both countries granted waivers, again, so that trade could happen, these, uh, these tariffs exist. They haven't been uh, rolled back on either side. They could be put in place. So that's a continuing concern. Yep, a lot to watch. Dave, thanks for the update. You bet. Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation, and that wraps it up for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whenever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look. Listen. Live. For more info, go to oli.org. Want to reduce your risk of developing cancer? A healthy diet can help. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. It's been proven that a healthy lifestyle and early detection can prevent nearly half of all cancer deaths. So eat right. Choose a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables every meal. Look for foods low in calories, fat, and sodium. And maintain a healthy weight. A registered dietitian nutritionist can help. Find one at eatright.org.